The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. This was an interesting development on Thursday afternoon. It started with a report from the Washington Post that the congressional investigation of years of toxic workplace misconduct in the Washington Commanders organization has pivoted to potential financial improprieties. The chair of the committee that's investigating the commanders later confirmed that indeed this turn has been taken. A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports later reported that the investigation, Peter King, is looking into whether or not two sets of books were used by an organization that has become very debt heavy as Daniel Snyder (coughs) bought out his three limited partners a year or two ago. Bless you if that was a sneeze. And also, bless you anyway, even if it was a cough. And also... The, uh, the, the, the look, this is this is a time when there's a lot of storm clouds over Daniel Snyder. And this is just another when you just wonder how many becomes too many and when it all reaches a critical mass. But this has got to be troubling because this is the kind of stuff people go to jail for. If you can substantiate that that this kind of accounting fraud has happened. And I don't know that it has. I'm not saying it. I'm just I'm just repeating the news that's out there. Don't sue me, Daniel Snyder. But this is the kind of thing that can get people in very real trouble. And this would seem like the kind of thing that can get people to lose their NFL franchises if it can be established. You know, Mike, I thought of, uh, I thought my first thought was, thank God for the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Nobody even knows what that is who's watching this show. I don't really know what it is. All I know is that somebody other than the NFL is investigating, uh, you know, and even though the NFL has another investigation now that they've launched uh, with uh, uh, Mary Jo White investigating Daniel Snyder, but everybody other than I think Roger Goodell and Daniel Snyder was unhappy with the results of the previous investigation when 40-some women came forward uh, and detailed an environment of 
sexual harassment or worse uh, inside the organization. <clears throat> and the response was to get a, uh, a you know, a, an oral report when uh, the Tom Brady deflate gate report was 9,000 pages long and the Ray Rice report was 8,900 pages long and whatever they were. It was a lot more than what uh, what the Washington investigation was. So when I look at this, I say I'm thankful that we have a government in Washington that sees misdeeds or they see something mishandled as the investigation was, the initial investigation into Daniel Snyder's team and says, we're going ahead with our own investigation. Uh, we have subpoena power and we're going to find, we're going to get to the bottom of what happened. You're absolutely right. I had an image there of Jerry and Kramer having a back and forth as to what the House Oversight and Reform Committee is. Well, they, they yeah. exercise overfight and they, and they reform. It's a Johnson the, rod. <laughs> hey, listen, it all goes back to whoever ordered the hit, as Brent Musburger so eloquently has explained it, on John Gruden. This was all ignored. It was gone. It was over. No one was talking about it. No one was thinking about it. They picked the absolute right time on the calendar to announce the penalties. It was Thursday, July 1 of an extra long 4th of July weekend because a lot of people didn't work on Friday the 2nd. A lot of people didn't work on Monday the 5th. By Tuesday the 6th, it was vaporized. There was nothing about it, and no one said anything about it until somebody decided to peel off some emails from the 650,000 document dump that that was otherwise secret and got John Gruden fired. That's what gave this thing life, Peter. So whoever did that, for whatever reason, and there's speculation out there that it was Daniel Snyder, if so, man, that was the worst move he ever made because that opened the door again. It caused people to take much closer look at what Beth Wilkinson did and what she wasn't allowed to do. They told her we don't want a written report. I, I reported during Super Bowl week, at the, during the pregame, if she'd have written the report, if they'd have said write the report, the report would have included a recommendation that this man should be forced out as owner of the team. That's why they didn't want a report. And it wasn't to protect Daniel Snyder. It was to protect the rest of the owners. They didn't want to set a precedent that then could be used against others if you have a disgruntled employee who realizes, hey, if I make just the right allegations, just the right accusations, here comes an independent investigator who starts looking around maybe find something, and the next thing you know, another owner goes down. Then another owner goes down. That's why they've resisted letting this out there. But you're right. The Oversight and Reform Committee, they're going to keep looking, and they're going to keep scratching, and they're going to find something. And it sounds like they're onto something different from the toxic workplace environment. But would it surprise anyone? At this point, would anything that they could establish really surprise us about the Washington Commanders organization based upon the things we already know? I, I'm not going to be surprised by it. I don't know what the truth is, no. but whatever it is, I'm not going to yeah. be surprised by it. I think, Mike, the one thing you have to be... I, I keep wondering this, quite honestly. I mean, if you're Daniel Snyder, <clears throat> don't you... Doesn't Isn't there some sort of limit that you can take, uh, you know, after getting beat over the head every day? by everybody in the media, nationally, locally, 
uh, you know, by your team losing most of the time. But, you know, it's just, don't you say, you know, maybe I should do something else. Year after year after year, he just gets crap poured all over his head. And all he does is saying, we're not selling the team. We're not, you know, I don't quite understand what would motivate a person who has nothing but heartache other than cashing checks, who has nothing but heartache with this team, why he hangs in there. I know why he does. When he was going through the struggles with his limited partners back in 2020, and there were all sorts of lawsuits and allegations, and and it got very ugly, and he finally just bought them all out because they couldn't find anyone to buy their limited shares because they couldn't find somebody who wanted to do business with Daniel Snyder, frankly. Yeah. His motivation is he wants to give the team to his kids. And that's why I think if push comes to shove, the resolution that would avoid years of litigation between the NFL and Daniel Snyder could be he steps aside, his wife takes over, the kids get the team at some point down the line, mission accomplished, he just continues to be in this weird status he's in now where Roger Goodell says he's not involved in day-to-day operations, but there have been some reports suggesting that he is. He's still on four NFL committees, and Ron Rivera was on radio during the season saying he talks to Daniel Snyder a couple of times a week. So I don't know what his status is right now. I don't know if it's double-secret probation. I don't know what it is, but he's involved. And uh, if he's officially not involved but he's still kind of hanging around, then so be it. But that may be the end result. If he can have the confidence at the end of the day, his kids will have the team. And I don't know if fans should be excited about that unless the apple falls in the next orchard over. But uh, that's a different issue altogether. Uh, But uh, then maybe that would be a way for him to to find an exit ramp and no longer be the owner. But I agree with you. And maybe you're just wired a certain way if you're Daniel Snyder where you welcome this fight and you're looking for anybody that you can take the fight to and you thrive in this kind of dysfunction, I don't know. But, Peter, after years of it, and he's owned that team since 1999, there's a point where you say, life's too short to deal with this crap all the time. I am constantly under siege. Not only that, Mike, but I've told this story a lot. But I covered the New York Giants for four years in the 80s. And far and away, underline, exclamation point, my favorite assignment every year that I covered the team was the road trip to Washington because it was the old RFK stadium. And when you were in that press box, which was kind of one of those slung low press boxes uh, just below the stands and every game, every game with New York and Washington, there would be a point at some point in the game you know, Theismann would have him rallying or, or there'd be a big play and you could feel the press box move. It was like three or four times a game, there was an earthquake. And you, the first time I felt it, I said, whoa. I mean, because I looked around and like nobody was, it, no, it was like nobody was paying attention to it because it happens all the time. But that was the level of love that that region had for that team. It was as boisterous a crowd, as ravenous a crowd as anywhere in the NFL. 
And, and just think about this. That was less than 40 years ago, and that continued into the 90s. And Gibbs and Beathard had this team going so well. But from the time that Daniel Snyder owned this team in 1999, you have seen a steady uh, sort of uh, erosion of the fan base, a steady uh, erosion of people who even care anymore. They simply don't care. And they vote with their feet. They don't show up anymore, Mike. And, you know, I, I, I read a story from uh, when Dallas was there this year. Uh, there's a story that said there's no question that more than half of, of a crowd that wasn't even a sellout uh, were Cowboy fans. And so that is what is so sad about all this and why I cannot understand for the life of me why the NFL is bending over backwards to protect Daniel Snyder. He's run the franchise into the ground. Well, I think plenty of owners like it when there's a team that is inherently dysfunctional because then it's easier to win the game that you play against them from time to time, and in some cases twice per year. But you're right, Peter, at some point enough is enough. And that's got to be the most frustrating aspect of being a fan. The players come and go. The coaches come and go. But if you get an owner who, number one, isn't very good, and number two, will cling to that team until he takes his last breath. Like grim death. you got a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Which is coming soon, I might add. Uh, (laughs) Leo. All right, Uncle uh, Leo. On with it. But, but yeah, at some point, Peter, you're just going to find something else to do on Sundays in September, October, November, December. You're not going to continue to disappoint yourself. It never gets any better, and that's not good for the NFL. And I really do have a sense. Now, I haven't recalibrated or or, uh, otherwise refreshed the the sense that that I got back in February, but I I think that, that some have had enough. And, you know, I said this yesterday, and I have nothing to base this on, but I wouldn't be surprised if... There isn't somebody connected to the NFL who maybe knows some things about what may or may not be going on with the Washington Commanders who may be cooperating unofficially with the House Oversight and Reform Committee because it's a lot easier for Daniel Snyder to be pushed out the door if someone else develops enough evidence to make it a no-brainer because one of the reasons I think they are resisting is they know he will not go down without a very protracted, expensive, and hostile fight so uh we'll see how that plays out but it continues you know people from time to time ask me what's going on with the washington commanders what's going on well when there's news we'll report it if we can't go make news if it isn't there yesterday's developments count as news let's take a break we'll recap some of the biggest stories of the week with a game of buy or sell next on pft live around any corner within every battle And with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. 
I asked this from a Buffalo perspective, obviously. And you mentioned, Rich, the sample size. But obviously this year's divisional playoff game between the Bills and the Chiefs, Allen Mahomes, all of that drama and how that game ended. You mentioned a robust discussion. How much was that game a part of that discussion and maybe a swing factor in all of this? Yeah, well, so we've all lived as part of it. I was part of a game where, where we lost on the first possession of the Super Bowl, and uh, the game was tough as it was, and the ending was tough as it was. But I think in, in your game, in the Buffalo game this year, you know, it, it, it's potentially the greatest you know, 20, 30 minutes in football that I've ever seen, ever, just watching a game. Uh, and to think that it ended that way definitely brought up the, the idea of, hey, is that, is that equitable? Does that, does that work for everybody? And so I think that did, I have no question, that started the, the, uh, the discussion. But what typically happens in these is they, they tend to lose momentum as, as you get further away from the game. And that did not happen in this instance. Kudos to Rich McKay, competition committee chair, and the rest of the league for doing the right thing and making the overtime for the postseason more equitable and fair. Peter King and I agree on that 100%. But we're going to play some buy or sell, Peter. Buy or sell, the new overtime rules should be applied to regular season games too. I wish they were, Mike, but uh, when they asked for a preliminary vote in the league meeting on Tuesday afternoon, uh, they were surprised. I can tell you that only about it's either 16 or 18 teams voted for it for the regular season and postseason to make it a permanent rule. And I think what that told and what that showed the, uh, the membership was, look, if you got 22 teams, maybe you uh, call a recess and you try to arm twist, but there's no way you're going to arm twist uh, eight teams into changing their their vote in 15 minutes. So they then basically said, okay, we'll just do it for the playoffs, and then it passed 29 to 3. Look, my thought on this is very simple. This isn't perfect. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but uh, as that huge football fan Voltaire once said, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. <laughs> and this is an improvement to the current system. It's an improvement. It's not perfect. There might even be better ways to do it. But this is going to, at the very least, scotch tape this so that, as in 2018, uh, Patrick Mahomes at Arrowhead Stadium will get a chance after Tom Brady uh, won the toss and went the length of the field and scored and Mahomes is just sitting on the bench the whole time. The same way that Josh Allen will now get a chance. And again, it's not perfect, but it's better than it was. Back in 2010, when they first modified the overtime rule away from sudden death to prevent a walk-off field goal to win a postseason game, it was only the postseason. As of March, it was in May that they decided to make it applicable to the regular season because the coaches couldn't have two sets of rules for overtime between the regular season and postseason, never mind the fact that they already do have different rules because you can have a tie in the regular season and not in the postseason. But I think, Peter, there's a very simple reason why it's not going to happen in the regular season. They're not going to want to lengthen the games. They want these games to be shorter. Yeah. And as gambling influences the NFL more, one of my predictions that may never happen, but 
I think Tuesday and Wednesday night football is going to become a thing at some point. They're going to be looking to have more standalone games that people can watch. And while they're watching, they can bet a dollar here or a dollar there on what the next play is going to be. And you want more games that are being played one at a time, not a big cluster of games at once. So I think Tuesday and Wednesday night becomes in play. It becomes a lot harder to say, well, this team's got five days between games. This game has six. Now they got four. If you've got this overtime rule that extends the game and I won't be surprised if they go back to sudden death for regular season overtime at some point Mike I I hate to break format but I have to ask you this question I had a note in my column Monday it was kind of buried in there it's not that big a deal but it's kind of weird I don't know if you saw it but my note was that ESPN this year on one Monday night and then starting in 2023 on three Monday nights is going to telecast two games, one on ABC and one on ESPN. And they're not going to televise one at seven and one at 10. They're going to televise them either concurrently or with maybe, uh, you know, up to like an hour difference. You know, one game starts at seven. The next game starts at 815, something like that. And I've asked a bunch of people, what is the benefit of this? Why do this? And I've heard a bunch of different theories, none of which really make that much sense to me. But I'd love to hear your take. It is removing games from that 1 p.m. Eastern cluster where you have 9 or 10 at most happening all at once because... Once they perfect the technology and it's widely available for people to bet on games during games when what you're seeing in your home is exactly what's going on at the stadium, just like the technology we're using here. The technology exists where it's instantaneous. When it gets to that point and you don't have to worry that somebody's going to be able to place a bet after the play's actually started and they have some system in place where they're communicating by cell phone or whatever. It's like, hey, it's a run, bet run, whatever the case may be. Once they get to the point where that can't happen, that's when that that explodes where your house is a casino where the game that they put in front of you and the fewer the games the better you focus on that you bet on that and they're going to be looking for that and i think if it works on monday night they'll do it on tuesday night so you got two games on monday night two games on tuesday night two games on wednesday night two games on thursday night i they're going to be looking to get rid of that overwhelming and i like it as a football fan because then you can you can focus on more games. It's so maddening. We've been in that room together. We were in that room together for years where you're looking up at this. It, it's overwhelming with nine games going on yeah. at once. I think they're going to look to get it's away from that. sensory overload, but it's fun. Yeah. 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 But they're looking to get away from that. They want us to be able to watch one game at a time, ideally. And if not, two games roughly in the same time with a little bit of overlap. All right. A couple more of these. Uh, Falcons talks with Deshaun Watson were only preliminary buy or sell. And we say this because Arthur blank claims that they only talked to Deshaun Watson for 75 minutes. That was the extent of it. Are you buying or selling that? I talked to blank. He told me the exact same thing. He told, he said in, I think a group with some of the uh, Atlanta writers. I'm not sure, but I talked to him on the phone the other day. He said the exact same thing to me, Mike, I think if you're Arthur Blank, you know, you talked before about wanting to have plausible deniability. (laughs) If you're Arthur Blank, you want to have plausible deniability in this story that if you don't get them, then everybody can't say 
Oh, well, you were lusting after him just like the Browns were. What's the difference? The only difference is you didn't get him. And as Blank explained to me, we did a lot of work on this before we had our conversation. But had he told us that he wanted to come to us, we were going to say, okay, and I'm paraphrasing him, conditionally, and then they were going to do more homework on him. It sounds a little bit plausible deniability to me. Uh, I'd probably sell this, but uh, I, I don't. I don't have proof that I would sell it. Hey, Peter, here's the proof. When they kick that Matt Ryan roster bonus from Thursday to Monday, you, you're doing that to facilitate a potential Deshaun Watson trade. Now, at the end of the day, they traded Matt Ryan anyway. But if they were going to do that, they well, could have done I it think, on Thursday. I, I kind of think, Mike, uh, once they cross the Rubicon, uh, the Sunday before all this happened, Matt Ryan was having a very normal off-season Sunday at home with his family. And Arthur Smith called him and told him what was about to happen, uh, that they were going to express interest in, uh, in, in Deshaun Watson. And whatever happened after that, Ryan was going to do it the right way and in a classy way. But he soon decided within a couple of days you know, this is, this is it. And as Arthur Blank did explain, one of the, the line that stuck out to me because I think the biggest thing that the Falcons wanted was they wanted to get out from under this storm cloud of the Matt Ryan contract. And they had redone it, what, four times, almost every year. And they redid it on March 12th. <laughs> they redid it a week before this all blew up. But, but the, only, the only point I'm making is that one line from Arthur Blank, and I'm going to use this in my column on Monday, he said, we are going to have about $110 million when we open the league year next year under the cap. And he said it'll be one of the best cap situations in the league. That is something that is kind of freeing for us. And you know what? That restructuring that was reported as a done deal never actually happened. That was the first sign oh, that, is that something right? was going on with Matt. It never actually went through. And and yeah. the Falcons, I think, would say that it was a false report. I think they were ready to do it. That was a Friday. But then came Monday, and, and things changed, and that never went. It never happened. They went into the new league year with Ryan having a ridiculously high cap number because they were trying to figure out what was going to go on with Deshaun Watson, but still, he's got the highest cap number of any player in the league for the Falcons, $40 million plus, and he's not on the team. All right, buy or sell? The 49ers will start the season with quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster. Well, if you say they'll start training camp with Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster, I would buy that. If you said they'll start the season with it, I'd probably sell it because I believe what they're going to do. Mike, remember the Labor Day weekend in whatever year it was when Sam Bradford got shipped to your beloved Vikings for a number one pick uh, after Teddy Bridgewater got hurt? And I believe that that is how this is going to go. Something is going to happen somewhere on one of the other 31 teams that makes Jimmy Garoppolo... Uh, a non-49er when they kick off the season on the weekend of September 12th.
That $25 million in cap space would come in handy right now for Debo Samuel or Nick Bosa. That's the pause that I have there. And also, what if it yep. doesn't happen? What do they do? Are they stubborn enough that they would keep Jimmy Garoppolo because they were never able to get the trade package that they wanted? Sometimes I wonder whether or not they would actually do it just so they don't have to release him and admit defeat. Well, they did it last though- year. Oh, well, I know, but last year they wanted him to play. Last year, Trey Lance wasn't ready. And that's the one thing we yeah. don't know about this. We don't know Do anything Do they believe about that Trey Lance is ready? Do they really believe he's ready? Now, Kyle Shanahan said something this week that suggested that he thinks he is because he said the reason we were trying to trade Jimmy Garoppolo is that's the progression. Trey Lance becomes the starter. But they weren't able to trade him because of the shoulder surgery. And look, it's $25 million. Who are you going to find to take on Jimmy Garoppolo at $25 million? There's not a team out there saying, yeah, we'll take a guy who's in the last year of his contract who's had shoulder surgery, who has a hard ceiling on how good he's ever going to be, and we'll pay him $25 million with no promise beyond this year. Yeah, we'll give you a second-round pick for that. It's just not going to happen. All right, uh, last, lastly, and, and most importantly, more important than anything else we've discussed over the course of the last hour and, uh, and 40 minutes, the Will Smith slap was real and not staged. <laughs> Buy or sell. Buy it a thousand percent. Totally, absolutely real. My original reaction, Peter, was this is Hollywood. Nothing's real. There's no way this was real. This was all aimed at goosing the ratings for an award show that no one watches anymore. But, but as Sim said on Monday, Chris Rock isn't that good of an actor. <laughs> and and his, his reaction was too authentically awkward and dismayed for it to have been an acting job by Chris Rock. So after further review, I agree with you. In a, in a land where nothing is real, that was real, which is the ultimate irony of Hollywood. The one real moment is the only thing anyone's been talking about all week long. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Another crazy week in the NFL. We'll recap it when this Friday edition of PFT Live returns. How much uh, better of a coach will you be the second time around with uh, number 12 under center now? Oh, it's always great to have him under center. Finally, I get to play with him instead of against him. You know, he's not beating my head in. We'll have some spirited practices. Uh, we had great conversation. I, I, I thank the world of the guy. I think we're more alike than you could ever know on the scenes, even though it doesn't look like it on the surface. He's probably a little more chill than I am, so i got to find a new thing other than that, too, because Bruce took cool and Tom took chill, but, you know, i got, I got to find my niche in this whole thing without being a jerk about it. So I'm going to look for that and try to find that uh, any way I can find it. Todd Bowles, new coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, you know, it didn't occur to me yesterday, Peter, We've had someone break ranks with the mandatory must-show-up-in-business suit for your introductory press conference. Well done, <laughs> Todd Bowles. Still had the jacket, but I got the polo shirt button to the top. That's good. That's progress. Ten coaches this year, nearly a third of the league. I saw that photo earlier this week of the, the various coaches, 28 of them were in it. I'm like, who the hell are these people? We've got nearly yeah. 33% turnover in one offseason, so today's draft – the new head coach is in the best situation to win or whatever in 2022. Peter, you get the first pick. I'll take Nathaniel Hackett. He's a mad scientist uh, with quarterbacks. Russell Wilson has wanted an imaginative 
coach to challenge him and to be able to bounce ideas off him. I think the marriage is going to be very good. And you're walking into a team with a better offensive line than Russell Wilson left in Seattle and with a top 10 defense. I I mean, this, I'm not saying the sky's the limit. They're in the toughest division in the 20-year history since the NFL went to eight four-team divisions. This is the toughest division there ever was. So I don't know what the final record is going to be, but the Broncos are going to be a lot better. The only caveat on the entire Broncos experience now, especially with a new head coach, is we don't know who the owner's going to be. They're looking for an owner. And that's a dynamic that's fairly significant that is going to potentially change things at some point this year. And uh, look, it's not, it's not necessarily going to be a bad thing. It's just going to be different. And we won't know until we know who it is and how that person's going to run the team. I'm going to start with Todd Bowles because, look, he's got Tom Brady. He's got a team that's brought back most of its players. It's clearly a contender in a watered-down NFC. They should be able to run that division. That division has coaches who have been there fewer than four years each. Matt Rule is the dean, as someone pointed out this week. I think it was Albert Breer. He's the dean of the NFC South now. So I'll take Tom Brady, I'll take Byron Leftwich, and I'll focus on the defense, and I'll be the head coach on game day, and life could be pretty good, at least for 2022 in Tampa. You know, I'll pick a little bit of a weird one. I'm going to pick Matt Eberflus. And the reason I'm going to pit Matt, pick Matt Eberflus in Chicago is that sometimes you simply need somebody to come in who is a breath of fresh air. That's all. Sometimes you just need a change. And Matt Eberflus is coming in and everybody said, oh my God, why are you picking a defensive guy? Because when Ryan Poles did his interviews, the one thing he was looking for is the best leader of men. And I, I, I don't think I've told this story. But Ryan Poles, what's interesting about this, and I don't mean to take up too much time, but Ryan Poles, after when he had to sit down and decide what he was going to do, uh, got back into his office and somebody said, hey, Tony Dungy is looking for you. Can he call you? You, you know, I'll, I'll give him your phone number. Yeah, yeah, of course. So he calls him and he said, hey, he said, pick the guy who you think is going to be the best guy. Don't listen to the outside world about saying who you should pick, whatever. Pick the guy who you want. Pick the guy who can lead your team. And and Ryan Pohl said it was like heaven sent, you know, that, that that happened because I kept thinking about that. You have all these people saying how here's who you should pick. Here's who the favorite is. Get an offensive guy to help Justin Fields. He picked the guy who he thinks is going to be the best leader for his team. And right now, I think, Starting over is exactly what Justin Fields needs. I will go with Mike McDaniel, the new Dolphins coach. I think he's awesome. He's a breath of fresh air for the NFL. He's very real. He's authentic, and he's different in a good way. And he's got Tyreek Hill, and he's got Jalen Waddell, and he's got that Kyle Shanahan offense that is going to make the Dolphins, who have managed to put together back-to-back winning seasons, even though they haven't gotten to the playoffs, the defense is still in place. Josh Boyer, the coordinator, is still there. You bring in Mike McDaniel. It's it's kind of like the flip side to what the Buccaneers did when they brought in John Gruden. 
You know, yeah, well, not you bring in a guy that's really going to. It's not the flip side; it's the exact same. You bring in a guy who's going to kick the offense in the ass at a time when you got a pretty good defense. The offense needed a kick in the ass. Mike McDaniel is going to supply it. If the defense holds where it was, this team can be pretty damn good right away, Peter. Mike, for my last one, I'm going to pick Josh McDaniels uh, with the Raiders. He got a lot better and a lot smarter and will be a lot more successful because of two things that happened within 30 hours of each other in the month of March. They signed Chandler Jones. So now it's going to be Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, two top 10 edge rushers playing together in 2022 on a defense that needs to get a lot of pressure in a division with great quarterbacks. And then obviously they got Devontae Adams. And in my opinion, Devontae Adams and, and, uh, and Derek Carr are going to make beautiful music together. So I think that the Raiders are going to show, show very, very well in Josh McDaniel's uh, rookie year, second rookie year as a head coach. It gets very difficult now because jobs become available for a reason, because the team isn't very good. But I'll go with Dennis Allen in New Orleans. This is a guy who had been strangely overlooked in the hiring process, even though he's done a phenomenal job with a defense that was in shambles when he arrived. 2015, I believe the year was. He's quietly been there putting together a very good defense. We saw what he can do last year on a Sunday night when Sean Payton was unavailable due to COVID protocols. Dennis Allen and the Saints shut out Tom Brady and the Buccaneers 9 to nothing in prime time. So, Allen, who's going to draw a great hand? with the Raiders. You know, Mike Shanahan didn't draw a great hand with the Raiders. Plenty of people would fail at various points, given the dysfunction that has generally engulfed that team for the past 20 years or longer. But uh, I, I think that Allen, with so much continuity, with Mickey Loomis in his corner, you know, they've got, it's kind of like what they, what they did in Tampa. They just did it earlier. They did it in January not in March. So uh, even though they have to deal with the Bucks, I think Dennis Allen's in great shape. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. Exclusive sneak preview of the Peter King Football Morning in America column. One of the tweets of the week from Kathy Two. At the dog park this morning, a woman picked up her dog's poop, tied it, and handed it to her dog. Then the dog took the poop bag and ran up the hill to a trash can. The dog missed, so the woman called out, fix it. And the dog picked it up and put it in the can. That is one impressive canine, Peter. Here's the thing I would say, Mike. I am thrilled when Chuck, the the mix golden retriever and some other stuff, who lives in our house, I'm thrilled... There's Chuck. When Chuck can give me his paw, that's a great accomplishment. Good dog, Chuck. Good dog. Good dog. If Chuck could do this, Chuck would be in the Dog Hall of Fame, and I would say, great dog. Yes, that would be awesome. That would be better than Macy's new trick, which is jump into bed before I can get in the room and I end up sleeping in the guest room. Thank you very much, Macy, for hogging her mommy. (laughs) And mommy is the alpha in the Florio household. She goes wherever my wife goes all day long. And if you get too close to mommy, you hear about it. 
from Macy. All right, thanks for listening to this for the past couple the hours. The Enjoy dog. your Friday. We'll see you at 5 o'clock Eastern for PFTPM. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.